Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. By one another. Father God, we come before you. Just so thankful for who you are, your word. And right now we just ask that you lead and guide and direct us by the power of your Holy Spirit through your word. Just penetrate our hearts, encourage us, refresh us with your word, by your spirit, as we focus on who you are and the freedom that we have in you. We thank you, Father. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. You may have a seat, church. As you see, we're going to be in Galatians 5. We're continuing this series by faith, and this is what we continue to hone on every single week, is faith alone in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. And so if you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, Love Works. Love works even when technology doesn't. Amen? All right. I love it because if you're coming to here to look for the perfect church, uh, you're going to be highly disappointed because we're imperfect people using imperfect things to worship a perfect God. And so that's what matters is the worship, not the things behind it. And even that's what we're talking about this morning, the things that we do, I wonder how much they matter. And, you know, I've been in several conversations uh, recently, but a lot over the, the years when it comes to how to have a relationship with God. And usually when sharing the gospel with an unbeliever, it comes up, well, I don't have to read the Bible. I don't have to go to church to follow Jesus. And I said, it's uh, true. I agree. And that's what we're going to hone into to today is that I do agree with that statement. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to read the Bible to follow Jesus. And I agree 100% of, of that kind of. That's what we're going to talk about. I want to talk about the kind of. Because is there a disagreeing aspect to that statement? I would say there is. And here, the context of Galatians, this, this letter to the church in Galatia by the Apostle Paul, really comes back to keeping the law. This is the good works that we're talking about specifically here is keeping the law. And the Apostle Paul, just to be clear as we've seen, but as we're going to see again today, has a high view of the law. You know, the law and the prophets, the whole whole Old Testament, but he has a high view. He understood that all of that was given by God and is God's word. So he has a high view. Obviously, he knew Jesus. He experienced Jesus, and Jesus validated the significance of the law. In Matthew 5, Jesus clearly says, Don't think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of the letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. I think Hebrews 10 verse 1 puts it really nicely of what the law is, now especially. simply says the law was a shadow of the good things to come. The point here that Paul is desiring to get across, especially the church in Galatia and by God's grace to the church in Virginia, 2,000 years later, is to see the law as good as long as it's taken for how it was intended. I think that's where we go wrong sometimes. The intention was to point people to their need for God's grace, not to their own self-sufficient, self-righteous good works. And therein lies the difference. And so the churches in Galatia, the church in Galatia who had initially responded by faith to God's grace, we're now falling prey to the heresy of works plus faith equals salvation. 
and specifically the, this group called the Judaizers, who were really big on circumcision. You must be circumcised plus faith to be saved. And this is the teaching that was being combated by the Apostle Paul that was just taking root in this church in Galatia. That's why in verse 2 he says, Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you yourselves get circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Again, I testify that every man who gets himself circumcised is obligated to do the entire law. And a couple of points that we need to see here that we see in this letter, but in the Bible itself, is that if you want to enforce one law, you better enforce them all. You can't pick and choose. Also, if you break one aspect of the law, you break them all. So it's all or nothing deal is what it comes down to. And Paul tells the teachers who were teaching this circumcision doctrine, he says, if you love it so much, essentially, that go ahead and take it all the way and mutilate yourselves, meaning castrate yourselves. Castrate. My mic broke out. I want you to get that, okay? He's pulling no punches of the damaging doctrine that's being taught. So the question here is, I think we need to ask, because we see this harsh language that Paul continues to use, is he against circumcision? Is he against the law? Is he against good works? Well, I would say maybe, depending on your motives. His point here, and I think the point that we continue to see over and over again, definitely in Scripture, if your aim is to achieve a right standing before God by any good works, in that case, you're not achieving anything for or from God, and you're actually, what he points to, alienating yourselves from God. Just the opposite of what you're thinking you're trying to do by standing on your own good works. And the example here that he's obviously combating a specific issue, a specific good work that's being highlighted, circumcision. But we can take the same thing and go down the line of good things that are pleasing to God, but turn to bad things if we do them with the wrong motives. I mean, think through, you see, baptism, it's a good thing. Evangelism, praying, all these things are good things. Reading the Bible, being a part of a local church, serving, and a lot of these things that we do talk through in Connecting Point, our class that we give, but we highlight the why behind the what a lot of these things. Like in serving, God's gifted you to serve, but oftentimes we highlight the gift, not the giver of the gift. And this is where we continue to go off tracks. And we can see that good works with bad motives equals a wrong relationship. That's what we get to. Good works with bad motives equals a wrong relationship with the Lord. And taking that even a step further... We think that if we do these things that we're earning something from God, I've heard another conversation that's very similar. When I encourage people to respond by faith to Jesus, they say, yeah, I see I need to, but first let me, and you fill in the dot, first let me stop with this addiction. Stop doing this thing. See, they see their sin, and maybe this is you, and you see your need for a Savior, but you don't think you're going to come to this Jesus, until you get yourself cleaned up enough, and just not true. That's a good work that you're trying to do. It's good, but that does nothing for your relationship. Isaiah 64 highlights this perfectly in verse 6. When regards to these things that we do to try and earn something from God, it says all of our righteous acts are like a polluted garment, a filthy rag, and it's actually more disgusting than the text gives it credit. It's disgusting in God's sight. 
these things that we're trying to do that are good, but we're trying to do them with the wrong reasons, trying to earn something, specifically a right standing with God. And so in other words, Paul here, he says, you've forgotten God's grace and are actively, actually falling away from it. In Galatians 5, 7, he says, you were running well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? And I love Paul because he continues to use like sports analogies. And I'm still trying to find the sport that you guys are into, right? We're going to get there someday. Maybe it's BMX racing. Anyone? All right, we got one. I knew it. The Westman family is. That's our thing right now. You can tell by one my son has a broken elbow. It just happens. But anyway, another story for another day. But BMX racing is interesting. This is the racing illustration that Paul is using here. They were racing. They were running well until something prevented it. And so let me give you some racing, BMX racing information. Just bear with me. If you don't like it, I think it'll be applicable. And so in BMX racing, a lot of racers use these shoes and pedals that clip together. Okay? So basically, you're clipping into that bike. And the only way to be unclipped is if you didn't clip in right the first time, if something's off, or you got to twist a certain way to unclip yourself. So it's not like you're forever bonded to this bike, but it takes some intentionality. And so here, you can run, race, with this illustration, really well if you're clipped into the bike, better than having regular shoes. But then if you can put unclipped while racing, which happens from time to time, it's catastrophic. And so I want to show this video, if our technology works for us, that highlights exactly what unclipped looks like. So who's winning? Comes unclipped, face plants. He was running well until he wasn't. And what prevented him? He came unclipped, disconnected. And what the video doesn't show is that he only not impacts himself, but the riders behind him trip over him. And so what Paul's getting at is you were running well until something came in and damaged it. Specifically, you knew God's grace, you received God's grace, and all of a sudden, some came in is damaging your walk and running with Christ. Especially if it's working, you have to work for it. Christ set you free from that. It's damaging your race. And when I think about this, God's grace is the key distinctive between biblical Christianity and all other world religions. Again, I go back to these conversations I have. Another regular conversation I have is, you know what, all religions are basically the same. Like, I believe there's a God, sure, but there's all kinds of ways to get there. Like, they're all saying the same thing. And usually I agree, kind of, kind of. Especially all the major world religions say something about Jesus, which is really interesting. But they're off. I would even say Islam has a very high view of Jesus, higher view, I would argue, than Muhammad. By the way they talk about Jesus. But are they really the same? See, other world religions teach you have to do these things to have any kind of right relationship with this God. You have to obey the five, the five pillars. If you're good enough and reincarnate enough times, you'll be able to achieve this right relationship. If you knock on enough doors, if you're baptized, if you're gooder than badder, like these things 
But is that what the Bible teaches? You know, the Bible flat out teaches completely opposite of all that. But I love the thief on the cross. Because if there's any debate, he demolishes any works-based debate out there. If you don't know this, when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified between two criminals. And one criminal was just hurling accusations and mocking and just making fun of in a very crude way of everyone else on the cross, specifically Jesus. But then there's another thief. He says this to Jesus in Luke 23. He says, talking to the guy first, he says, we are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve because of the things we did. I'm going to stop there for a second because it shows that God's working something in this person's life. Specifically, repentance. We have did this, and we deserve this. He goes on to say, but this man, speaking of Jesus, has done nothing wrong. Then he turns to Jesus and says this, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is called belief. You see repentance, and you see belief. He's acknowledging that Jesus is king, has a kingdom, and he is the only way to it. He didn't pray to anyone else. He didn't ask anyone else. He asked Jesus. So Mark 1, Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe. And Jesus' response to the thief on the cross he says, today, you will be with me in paradise. He doesn't say, oh man, I wish you could have been baptized first. Sorry. I wish you could have done, you know, went proclaiming the gospel, making disciples. I wish you could have, you know, prayed more, read the Bible this amount of times. I wish you were part of a local church. I value that. But you're not, so sorry, you ran out of time. That's not what he says. Today, you will be with me in paradise. So I love this account because if you think that any kind of good works earn something eternally from God for you, it's completely wrong in heresy. And this is why Paul comes down to it so hard. He said, I wish you would castrate yourselves. Because this is damaging doctrine. It's causing divisiveness here. That's why that last verse in verse 15, to be aware of not devouring and biting after one another. Because this divisive doctrines get involved and it cause damage. And Jesus, dying on the cross for you and me, set us free. And this is the point, continues to go back to, sets us free by belief. And we have to ask, free from what? I'm going to give you two things. Free from sin. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. That means what we deserve is death, eternal separation from God. That's what we have coming to us, like the thief on the cross. We deserve this. But, it says, the gift of God is is eternal life in Christ Jesus the Lord. What we deserve is one thing, but what God gives us freely, a gift, is completely different. But like any gift, we have to receive it. So we're free from sin because of Jesus who paid the price for our sin on the cross. To anyone who believes, it's applied. So we're free from sin and we're free from the fear of death. And this is what just, really, if we're honest, enslaves a lot of people, is this fear of death. You know, if you're a Christian, you don't have to fear dying at all. I think we miss that sometimes. Now, I'm not asking you to go out there and get crazy, right? I'm not saying that. 
But maybe. Maybe God's calling you some crazy things. Maybe God's calling you to some hard places for the sake of the gospel. Maybe. 1 Corinthians 15 just this, this, this statement is so powerful. If we hear it, it's just something that says, death has been swallowed up in victory. It's like trash talking. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It didn't say thanks be to God because you did all the right things and then got the victory. Christ gives that to you. Christ did that for us through him. We have the victory, so we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear sin. Because of who we are in Christ Jesus, we have the victory. And that is clapworthy and a game changer. It sets us free. And so Paul says in verse 1, remember. Why? Because we forget. That's why we're here today. We forget. I forget. Remember, for freedom Christ set us free. And he says, stand firm. Christ did this. He didn't say you did this plus him. He did this. And so I have to ask a question as we talk through these things. What sent Jesus to the cross in the first place to die for our sins? Just at the very core level, because I know we can start getting into doctrine and theology, and those things are great for sure. Right understanding of Scripture is phenomenal and needs to be pursued. But at a very core level, Jesus says in John 3, for God loved the world in this way. God loved the world in this way. He gave his only son so that everyone, that's a lot of people, everyone who believes in him will not perish and have eternal life. God loves. And then take it a step further, Romans 5, 8, for God proves his own love for us and that while we were Still sinners, Christ died for us. And so what sent and kept Jesus on the cross? It's his love. God's love moved Jesus to the cross. And in Jesus, we see that perfect example of what love that works looks like. And even while Jesus was nailed to the cross, as he was actively being murdered with some of his last breaths, he says, Father... Forgive them. Now think through that for a minute. These men that just nailed him to the cross, beat him, spit on him, made fun of him. He says, Father, forgive him. The movie, The Passion of the Christ. If you haven't seen that for a while, man, watch that again. But there's this part that portrays Jesus being nailed to the cross. And as it's actively being nailed, it shows it. And it shows a hand and a hammer. That's all it shows. It zooms in on the hand and the hammer. And as you probably know, Mel Gibson directed this movie. But that's his hand on the nail and hammering the nail into Jesus' hand itself. And his quote simply says, It was me that put him on the cross. It was my sins that put him there. And so he wanted to be in that scene because the reality of what our sins is what nailed him to the cross and his love is what kept him nailed to the cross. And so to follow Jesus, it's not what you do. It is what Jesus has done. Again, before he gave up his spirit on the cross, he said, tetelestai. It means it is finished. 
the ransom, your debt has been paid in full. And that's important. That full part is not a partial payment. It's like, I did my part, and now I need you to do yours. It's like, I did mine, but I need you to be baptized. I did mine, but I need you to be circumcised. I did mine, but I need you to be whatever ties. You know what I'm talking about? Like, whatever you want to put on that. Paid in full. And so the questions we have to come back to, kind of a summarizing question. For unbelievers, in one word, how do you follow Jesus? Believe. Nothing about church, nothing about prayer, nothing about study, nothing about serving. Do you believe? I'll take a step further. For believers in one word, how do you follow Jesus? I'm going to have to clarify this, but if I gave one word, I would say work. See, we have a hard time reconciling those things, I think. So to follow Jesus for unbelievers, believe. To follow Jesus as believers, work. And I think we know this, like just experientially. For those who are married, right? Doesn't it take work in your marriage? Husbands, don't. Don't do it. I didn't mean to set you up. That was wrong of me. Just take it from me. It takes work. My wife is amazing, but it takes work, especially for her. It takes a lot of work to deal with me. It takes work. Like, we do things not because we enjoy doing certain things. Like, I can tell you, my wife does 99.9% of the laundry in the house. That's a lot of laundry because we have a lot of kids, and she doesn't enjoy it at all. Why does she do it? Out of love. Out of love. I told you this before. Why do I unload the dishes sometimes? Because I love doing dishes? No. Because I love my wife and I like to stay married. Right? <laughs> so we know this experientially, but when it comes to God, we think, okay, you know, I, I believe and we treat it like the finish line. Like I'm done. I've arrived and now I do nothing. Well, it's not actually what the Bible says. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, gives a great picture of all of this and how this works. It says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. But then verse 10 comes along. So how do you come to faith? By God's grace, by faith in Christ. But then verse 10 says, for we, being Christians, are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And so to follow Jesus, what Jesus has done leads us into everything we do. See how that works? To come to him, he's done it. To follow him, we now do it. Under him who strengthens us. Everything we do for God and for others flows from an overflow of receiving God's undeserved, undemerited, unending, unconditional love for us. First John 4.19 says, For we love because he first loved us. And we've seen in verse 6, For Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything, but what matters is faith working through love. Paul's point simply is motives matter. Motives matter. It's a heart posture matters. And the common phrase that we use around the way is the why behind the what. Meaning it's not what we, we don't do just good works for good works sake, but the why we do behind the what we do matters. It's a heart posture. 
And real quick, James really hones in on this. James 2, verse 14, it says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And this is where the faith plus works argument really ramps up. They say, see? The Paul's point is faith produces works. If you have nothing to show that you're following Christ, the question is, are you actually following Christ? Because when the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, he starts becoming the change agent in you and propels you and compels you to do things that Christ calls us to do. It's not knowledge. That's what he says in James 2, verse 19. He says, you believe that God is one that's good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. So it's never been about information. And that's what scares me the most about this church and any other church across the world is that there's so many people sitting in churches that have a lot of information about Jesus but are missing Jesus. It's never been about information, but as God began a transformation by you experiencing Jesus. Going back to James in verse 26, it says, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. See, over and over again, we see that works is out of overflow of your faith that stems from a love for God. So love works through real faith. That's what we continue to see. And so we see this freedom that Paul's getting at here. We're free. But then the Bible always points to that we're also enslaved. This is interesting. In Romans 6, verse 22, simply says, But now, since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. And here's the point. We are all submitting to someone. I use submitting for a purpose because usually that rubs us the wrong way a little bit. I'm not submitting to anybody. I'm my own person, right? It's not true. You're all submitting to someone. For admitting, you're submitting to yourselves, meaning I'm my own God. I'll do what I want to do. No one's going to tell me what to do. I don't care if there is or isn't a God. I'll choose how I follow or don't follow him. And the point is the outcome for that person is separation from God, also known as eternal death. But what it says here is when you submit to Jesus, that means your life and all you have and all that you are and all that you are in charge of belongs to him as king, as Lord. You trust him with everything. This is what salvation is. This is what faith is. I've heard it says like this, real saving faith would be how you treat a parachute jumping out of an airplane. Right? Once you jump out of the airplane, you can do nothing. You're 100% dependent on that parachute opening. Maybe your faith is actually more in the person that packed the parachute, but that's another story that doesn't really fit with my illustration. That's what faith looks like. And so that kind of faith in Jesus, the outcome is eternal life. This is what Jesus points to in Luke 9. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That means is he king or not? Because you can't follow yourself and follow Jesus at the same time because you're going two different ways. And he takes it a step further. In John 14, verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commands. That means you will obey my commands. You will do what I've told you to do. If you love me. 
And you can go back to every relationship that you really care and love for one another. Isn't that how you try to live that thing out? Try to do things out of love for the other person? Jesus calls us into a life of following his commands, being doers of his word, not just hearers. But love works only when it's flowing from the correct direction. And many of us, we have this church mission statement. And I want you to know it's more than just a mission statement that we put on some banners. It is the primary fundamental aspects of what it means to follow Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then Jesus says in Matthew 22, the second is like it. It's the greatest command, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this is what Paul points to here in verse 13. He says, For you are called to be free, brothers and sisters, but don't use the freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. And in Jesus' time, the person would ask the lawyer, the, 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 the interpreter and giver of the law would say, Well, what, who, or our neighbors. And Jesus, in a long parable, which he did, but I'm going to summarize it for you, says everyone. Everyone. Everyone else. Love them as yourself. And as I think through this and trying to love others as yourself, let me be very clear. I love me some me. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I love myself a lot. Just to be clear. And so to love someone else like I love myself that's pretty sacrificial. But the Bible tells me that actually this is where my problem stems, is my love for myself. I mean, James 4, verse 1 and 2, actually points to the issues that we have. simply says, what is the source of wars and fights among you? You desire and don't have. So problems that we have in our root, thing, root cause is I want what I want, and I'm not getting it. Why? Because I love me some me. That's where our problems lie. Y'all are great people, no doubt. I have some issues. Just do, man. And I feel in a room this size, I'm probably not alone. That's what he says, watch out in verse 15. Don't let the divisiveness devour, but love one another. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit cultivates a different desire within me. A desire to love you as I love me because I love God who loves both you and me. You see how that works? And as we start wrapping this up, I just want to remind us that we start this year off with this theme of life of worship. And so we start talking about things like this. This is an overflow of a life of worship that comes from Romans 12.1. It says, brothers and sisters. So this is a faith family language. Brothers and sisters. In view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. And so love works sacrificially. So for the believer, going back to the original question that we posed, about do I have to read the Bible and go to church to follow Jesus? Do I have to? So this is the believer. The Bible itself actually says, yeah, yeah, you do. I mean, regarding love and loving others, Jesus says to his disciples moments before he'd be crucified, I give you a new command, love one another just as I've loved you, and you're also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. The point being, love one another as I have loved you. How did he love you? Going to the cross and dying in your place when we didn't deserve it, ask for it. And it's actually 
quite opposite of what we had coming to us. This is what love looks like. This is the standard of love that God calls us to, and everything flows from that reality. So the list I'm about to give you makes no sense unless you don't love God. It only makes sense if you love the Lord. All the things I say that the Bible tells us to do will make no sense to you if you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you. makes no sense. But the Bible says that we're to serve one another. These are commands, by the way. It didn't say, you know, if you have time, if your schedule permits, if you're willing and feel like it, it just says serve one another. It talks about bearing one another's burdens, forgiving those who sin against you just as Jesus has forgiven you. Pray for one another. Read God's word. Meditate on it. Gather together. That's an amazing thing, right? Gather together. Worship God. And here's a good one. Give generously. Financially. Like around these parts, we're not scared to talk about money because it's an act of worship. And Jesus talked about money a whole lot. And I think it's because that's one of our root problems. We need to worship something. And I think money really battles for our worship more than anything else. Usually, the conversation revolves around, well, how much do we have to give? Is it 10%? I really think if you start there, you're asking the wrong question. The Bible talks about generosity. It does make a big deal about 10%, but the New Testament language is generosity. What does that look like? We're called to proclaim the gospel. We're called to be discipled. We're called to disciple others. I just met a man this week who's been following Jesus for some time, apparently. And he says, you know what? I'm just not, I just can't disciple others. I'm just not ready to disciple others. I'm saying if you know Jesus, I didn't have this conversation with him yet. If you know Jesus, you can disciple others. So we're called to be discipled, disciple others. We're called to be baptized. Do you know that? It's in the Great Commission itself. Now, does baptize do anything for your standing with God? Absolutely not. But is it an obedience issue? Absolutely is. We're called to baptize others. And so as you start looking through all these things that God calls us to do through his word, it only comes from, and it should, an overflow of our love for Christ. So when we talk about all these works, love works. Now, all it said to the unbeliever who says, I don't have to read the Bible or go to church to follow Jesus. Actually, this is, this is what the Bible says. You don't have to do those things to come to Jesus. We go back to the Old Testament. We've seen this. It just simply says in Genesis 15, Abraham believed the Lord, and he, being the Lord, credited it to him as righteousness. And Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. So as we enter in this time of prayer and we're looking through this love works and what Jesus has done versus our doing, I'm going to invite us into this, a, a season of praying just to pause just for a moment and ask God what he's showing you through his word this morning. I want to be very clear that you're not here on accident. God is doing something in your life. And maybe you don't believe, but you're here for a purpose. I believe that God's working everyone in this room and those that we listen to this online or at a later date, that God's working and drawing. And as we enter this time of just response, being you praying right where you are, I want you to just be real with God and ask, what are you showing me? Maybe you already know it. You feel a prompting of tugging. Maybe you see that you have not been living for the Lord as a Christian. Like you've been following for a while, but you've fallen away. Maybe someone has prevented the race you've been running and you're stumbling over some certain things. 
maybe specifically some sin things in your life, it's time for you to repent. Repentance is a good thing. It's by God's grace He's showing you some issues in your life to draw you to Himself and to make you more and more like Him. This is a process we call sanctification. More and more in Jesus' image. Which we always say, it's more over time, not overnight. So God's patient with you, but He's also calling you to pursue something more. I went through that list. Maybe there's some things that you need to be dealing with on that list. Forgiveness, serving, giving, worshiping, gathering. I don't know what God's doing, but maybe you need to spend time asking Him to do something in your life. Maybe you've been deficient at. But the most important response is if you're here, or if you're listening to this, if you've known information about Jesus but never experienced a transformation from Jesus by faith, but right now for some reason God's drawn you and said, I've seen my sin and I've seen my need for a Savior. Now is the time of your salvation. Now is the time for you to turn from your sin and follow Jesus by faith. Say somehow, way, I don't understand it all, but I know that you died in my place on that cross. On the third day you rose again and are actively reigning and ruling right now and desire me to submit everything I have to follow you as Lord because you're trustworthy, you're faithful, and I don't know what I'm doing, but I think you do. I want you. That's the prayer you pray. But what I want us to do is just have a time just now in the, the silence of this moment and just pray. So let's just pray right now, and after a few moments, I'll close this time of prayer, but I want to give you a minute just to respond and to focus on how good God is and what you've heard through his word and the Spirit's prompting this morning. So let's just take a moment to pray. Father, we come to you just so thankful for who you are. Lord, the reminder of the freedom that we have in Jesus that you have given to all who would follow you by faith. Thank you for the reminder of that we're your people created in your image to have a relationship with you. And we thank you for the truth that we see over and over that if we come to you, when we've seen that we have fallen short of your expectations, we have sinned, we have strayed to our own ways, that when we turn back to you, that you're faithful and righteous to cleanse us and forgive us of all of our sin, separating our sin as far as the east is from the west, making our sin once was scarlet, now as white as snow because of what you did on the cross, taking our place. Father, we thank you. Lord, help us walk in the freedom that it is to know you and to be known by you. The joy it is, the security to be sealed by the power of your Holy Spirit, knowing that we are firm in you, have a relationship rooted with you that will never change. 
And Father, right now I just ask that you continue to increase our love for you. In our areas of disbelief, and we just ask that you give us more belief, give us more faith, because you are trustworthy. Father, we thank you for bringing us here. We thank you for what you've done. And we give you all the praise and all the glory because you are the only one who's worthy. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.